Good morning, folks. Okay, thank you for listening in. <laughs> so I decided to do this because I didn't want to sound like a doofus when trying to explain <laughs> my thought process to my supervisor. So context is, I am doing my honors thesis this semester. Um, I don't. I think I'm making a big deal out of it. If you think about it, it's only three modules worth <laughs> crammed in one. So it's kind of like buying insurance in one asset. There's no diversification, and honestly, I'm a bit stressed out. Okay, because I was looking at NUS mods, I was looking at the module um, details, and it appears I have to spend at least 38 hours a week on this module, which which sounds like a lot, but it's only eight hours a day if you spend only weekdays, right? Which, yeah, it sounds like a lot for me, at least. So, um, a bit too early to be freaking out, but hey, better early than late, right? And anyway, I have, I think, tried my best to meet the eight hours target every day. I even pulled an all-nighter just to hit the eight hour mark but I realized that it's not really about the hours you spend right because you could be sitting there for eight hours but not really internalizing anything like you're reading articles but are you actually like, actively thinking about what you're reading and which is this is a similar outlook I have for my thesis so I guess this is the right time to tell you about my thesis, what I'm planning to write about. So basically, um, people who know me know I watch a lot of movies. I love film. I enjoy watching film, right? And I think a personal belief of mine, when I watch film, uh, whether I or not I think it's a good piece of film, is that it gets people thinking. So it's not just entertainment, it, it gets you thinking. And I guess the taller the taller order would be to get people moving. But that obviously is hard, right? For a two-hour experience in a cinema. So thinking is better than nothing. But obviously doing is the best. But I won't ask for much. And so I've been looking at the way we consume media. Film. Comic strips. Whatever it is that we consume. For me, it's film. For you, it could be something else. But how actively are we digesting what we are reading? This is, of course, on the assumption that for it to not be a waste of time, you have to be actively digesting it. Of course, you might be of the argument that entertainment is just enough. It's sufficient, right? And that's fine, but that's not what I feel. So basically, my honest thesis is how to use film and because I'm in theater studies how to use theater to get people thinking right and obviously thinking is very vague like thinking about what you know so I had to narrow it down and as some of you might know I'm very involved in this mental health film festival as well as nonprofit called Caring for Life which dabbles in suicide prevention work and so I was like, hey, why not use what I'm already interested in and what I already have somewhat experience in to write my thesis, right? I think liking what you write will go a long way in 
sustaining you for 13 weeks, 8 hours a day. So I was like, hey, why not? So mental health, film and theatre, right? I have to squeeze all these three themes into one hypothesis, right? So going back to my thesis, what I hope to get people thinking about is their mental health, their mental well-being for themselves to begin with, right? I I think I always believe that if you want to help other people, you have to help yourself. And I was in church the other day and this phrase came up. It's like, I don't remember which verse or what, but it basically says, before taking out the speck of dust in your brother's eye, take out the log in your own eyes first. So basically that's that's what I'm dealing with right now. Just helping, hopefully my research will be able to shed light on how to help ourselves in terms of mental well-being. And more specifically, a more tangible outcome as opposed to an intangible or helping oneself right a tangible outcome would be to i suppose engage in long-term behavioral change for instance being more willing and inclined to ask for help it could be professional help it could be counselors it could be therapists or it could be non-professional help like friends or family so i suppose i will be testing how the use of film and applied theatre can be used to influence help-seeking behaviours, mental health help-seeking behaviours. So that's a lot of things to unpack, right? So obviously I'll, I'll go through them step by step. There are a lot of things going on in my mind right now, I have to be honest. I don't even know where to begin. But I suppose the number thing, the number one thing that's weighing on my mind right now is the... IRB, which is the Institute, oh no, ah, the review board, the review board for research practices, right? I don't know what it means, IRB. I'm, I am searching it right now. Hold up, hold up. Institutional review board. So basically, if you intend to work with human subjects for your research, you have to fill out and the IRB form submit it to your department it's basically to declare that you won't you will do whatever it takes you will do your best to keep your respondents safe and your research practice practices will be ethical right whatever that means but that thing is really taking a toll because I'm working Uh, with the topic of mental health, right? And according to the IRB form, that is a sensitive topic, which I agree. I agree. So there are two forms, right? There is the expedited form where you fill in where you don't work with vulnerable populations or sensitive topics. So I can't fill that one out, right? That one is out of bounds for me. So I have to fill in the full full form, which is going to take apparently double the time to get approved and I'm still in the process of filling it out consulting my supervisor and I have yet to submit it so I'm really hoping she gives me to go ahead as soon as possible so I can just submit it and hopefully get it approved in one try (laughs) so yeah fingers crossed uh, so for those of you wondering what the IRB form, what what do they ask? I guess could just like a little bit open it. 
So basically, they ask you who your supervisor is, whether or not there are are you receiving financial help, be it through grants or department funding, whatever, or you can just indicate no funding, right? Um, you got to tell them how you're gonna collect the data, what data you're gonna keep, and how you're gonna analyze it. What is your target number of participants, their age group, your inclusion, your exclusion criteria. You can find the form on your department website, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it should be free for all if you want to check it out for future research. And yeah, just fill it out. Obviously, there's this part which says, explain why your research is significant and basically why should we approve your research, right? And so for me, I had to research on the mental health landscape in Singapore to con contextualize my research uh, and kind of spend eight hours trying to come up with 300 words for the <laughs> for the form so newspaper articles will not cut it you will have to find research from the library like proper ac academic literature so yeah don't don't be putting newspaper links because that's what I did <laughs> <laughs> and it did not fly Alright So Basically I just gave them a chunk of statistics One in seven Singaporeans have experienced A mood or anxiety disorder in their lives da -da 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 -da. How it affects the economy Because you know as we all know Economy e Economic success is number one In Singapore So you have to You have to Justify in terms of economic terms Um so according to my research, mental disorders cost the Singaporean society approximately $1.7 billion a year. And they claim this to be an underestimation because you cannot possibly measure everything, such as the use of medications, supported re-employment programs, the loss of earnings associated with unemployment, etc. Right? And so $1.7 billion is a gross underestimation according to... I will put the references in the notes. Yeah. And in terms of the arts, there was the Arts and Culture Strategic Review that was conducted in 2012, which said that more emphasis and more funding would go towards the arts in Singapore, which includes theatre. And I suppose in that regard, uh, the, the government has also... I mean, the government also sees value, I suppose, in arts in Singapore so I guess the future is not bleak in that respect but of course things are not going as smoothly as we would like uh, so that's why we need to conduct more research about the viability of theatre in education and in my case mental well-being right and because I love film and because yeah apparently 51% of all Singaporeans age 16 and above own a subscription to Netflix password sharing or not and there are also other streaming sites that we have subscriptions to so we are constantly in front of our screens watching something right so going back to my original wondering as we're watching what is it that we're getting out of these characters on the screen is what we are consuming positively or negatively impacting us so I just really want to 
get to the bottom of it with this research. And yeah, a bunch of re references. And basically what I plan to do is to have 10, uh, uh, I suppose 9 to 12 people, participants, an even number would be great to participate in my workshops, which will last three consecutive weeks to about roughly two hours per week. Um, the same 10 people. And we'll do like movement exercises, which was taught in applied theater under the theater of the oppressed by Augusto Boel. Boel? Yeah. I plan to do like five exercises just to warm our bodies. The reason why we warm our bodies before engaging in any writing work or, or, or creative work is because according to Boel and theater practitioners, a lot of our daily activities have been so mechanized. Like, for instance, when we wake up every morning, we don't... We were not conscious about what muscles we are using to get out of the bed, right? We just get out of the bed. It's very autopilot at this point. And a lot of our daily activities are like that, right? Sometimes I walk to the bathroom I pick up my toothbrush and I don't even know how I got there like I just got there right I'm not really thinking about how I got there so a lot of our daily activities are just flying off the radar like we're not really aware of them and a lot of our creative potential is stuck in our bodies right so if you just try it now pick up your right hand try to do Try to draw a circle with your right hand. I'm doing it now. I'm doing it with you. Yeah, just draw five circles. It shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> yeah. And if you find it hard, then I, I don't know what to say. But Okay, now put your right hand down. And then pick up your left hand and draw a cross, right? Just a cross five times. That shouldn't be too hard either. So obviously, you know what I'm going to tell you to do now, do both together, right? And you'll find that it's not easy. I'm having difficulty, right? And the funny thing is, nothing really is in our way but ourselves, right? Our own body is in our way. And basically, Applied Theatre, no, Theatre of the Oppressed is trying to help us break free from our own bodies, you know, being in our own way. And so movement exercises help us to get in touch with our senses. And some of them, you're blindfolded. So not being able to use one sense helps you heighten the rest of your other senses, apparently. Yeah. And helps you get more in touch with other senses, such as your hearing or your touch touch right and you'd be surprised very often <laughs> when they make us do exercises in class for theater studies I will be thinking to myself I never knew that my I had knees or I never knew that my elbows could move this this way you know it's like a revelation every time I use my body and it's so mesmerizing because 
it is these moments that I remember that my body can do so much, you know, and there's so much potential that my body has and that I have, right? And just very uplifting to know. So that's why we do movement exercises, right? And of course, if it's a team building activity, then such games, air quotes, help to build trust and rapport, especially when you're going to be working together for a few weeks and talking about sensitive topics such as mental health, mental well-being. Obviously, we'll not be diving into like therapy, therapy. Okay, we'll just be asking like questions such as, you know, what 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 is the struggle you're facing this week? Would you like to talk about it? And then through my activities, hopefully be able to find a new perspective in coping and managing these challenges. So yeah, and there will be a film, a short film screening. I can't do a feature film because it's just the time. And honestly, I don't feel like. I think a 10 to 15 minute short film is sufficient to get people thinking. Like it doesn't have to be a two hour film, right? I guess that's the power of short films. They're able to, I suppose, condense all the important stuff in 10 to 15 minutes. It's very bite-sized and yet very valuable. So we're going to do a film screening. We're going to use the characters and I suppose the drama and the, the, the struggles that the characters face to apply it to our own lives. And yeah, hopefully see how that will work out and we'll do some script writing activities just to articulate our thoughts on paper. And yeah, of course there will be breaks and group discussions, plenty of discussion actually, interweaved in the workshop, right? And. We're still on the IRB. They will be asking you how you're going to recruit your people, what your timelines, any reimbursements, and obviously going to you're going to have to ask your participants to fill up their consent forms, which shouldn't be too hard. But what would be hard actually is to get <laughs> ten people to come for two hours for three weeks. The same ten people. You know, I'm actually kind of stressed out about that. Okay, but I can do it. I'll be able to do it, yeah, I suppose. So that's the IRB. I'm hoping to submit it by tomorrow. And so yesterday, I want to talk a little bit about the readings I was reading yesterday. Let me just open my tabs. So there's a very interesting distinction between oppression, victimization, and exclusion, right? So, I don't know, just pause the podcast, think about what you think might be the difference. But the way I understand it is to be excluded neglects to explain the causal effect between the oppressor and the oppressed, right? It is, I suppose, just the illustration of the outcome of that power and difference, right? So, to say that a poor person is excluded from a five-star hotel because they only can afford wearing slippers and shorts. To say that this person is excluded 
is merely describing the outcome of the power indifference and social social status indifference, right? And to be a victim, to say that this person is a victim, again, I suppose, an illustration of the outcome. And I don't know, when I hear the word victim, it feels, they feel very powerless to me. And it feels like we took away their sense of urgency and that is all they're left to be, a victim, right? And it feels, it sounds very bleak to me. I'm not sure about you. I don't really like the word victim. That's why in Safe NUS, we like to use the word survivor. Because, I don't know, it sounds a lot more resilient to me. Like this person actually went through something and 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 got back up, you know, on, on their two feet. And it just feels a lot more giving them credit, you know? As opposed to victimization, which makes them sound very sad. I suppose it'd be good to define what a plight theater is. And obviously, <laughs> being being in fast as I read the readings, the same the same word or the same concept often has like ten thousand definitions. It's very hard to pinpoint which is the most accurate one. I suppose it depends on the context. Um, but one definition that is very commonly used for applied theater is applied theater is taking participants and audiences beyond the scope of conventional mainstream theater. The work often, but not always, happens in informal settings, in non-theater venues, in a variety of geographical and social settings that might be specific or relevant to the interests of a community. Applied theater usually works in contexts where the work created and performed has a specific resonance with its participants. So it's a lot about the process as opposed to the product. So when people think of, about theater, they usually think of stage plays, right? You go to a fancy auditorium, fancy concert hall, watch a play for two hours, three hours, and then leave, right? That is the conventional framing of what theater is and though that's not wrong applied theater attempts to bring the same art form to a variety of settings it could be a hospital it could be prison <clears throat> it could be in schools right and what i want to do is to have a bite-sized theater in the palm of your hands and for it to be accessible wherever and whenever you are whenever you need the tools to talk to yourself about your mental well-being and I suppose to emphasize the process is to talk about the tools and the skills that make up this process for instance the scale of listening to another person listening to their stories as you begin to write and analyze your own right or the scale to use your body your own two feet to not just walk run or crawl but to do other stuff right it could be a forward roll 
or it could be a simple tap dance, right? So to do things that you didn't think your body could do, you know? To pick up these different skills that are so transferable that you can use them in other parts of your life, right? And so theater isn't just play. It can be a, a, great, a great tool for you to enhance your productivity, right? And another, I suppose, word that is hard to define or concept that is hard to define is mental health. What is mental health, right? Is it simply the lack of a diagnosis or is the definition a lot more complicated than that, right? And I have to be honest, I'm looking at my my document, the, what, what I've typed up so far, and I have left the definition for mental health blanked because it's just so hard to, to just pick, pinpoint one that is most accurate to what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, the cursor is just blinking at me. Okay, and, <laughs> and so I will find that definition soon, probably. And tool that I want to explore in my research is the tool of script writing to write to build and create your own characters on paper they could be modeled after your own life someone else's life or could, they could be like fictional 100% fictional they could be anything right and having these characters engage in drama, conflict and to establish relationships between them and I guess giving them problems to solve or giving them giving the protagonist one problem to solve so this could be something that you are actually facing in real life or something similar or it could just be a fear that you have that you are afraid might happen Right? So you give your protagonist that problem and you use the characters on your paper on you know that you have created to help to help your protagonist solve the problem. Or these people could be getting in the way of your protagonist, right? But I mean that's what life is. You have people who are helping you and you have people who are not helping you, right? So you could reflect both sides on you know, in, in, in the script that you're writing for yourself. And I, I suppose we've, we've all had experiences of journaling or, or, or maybe even writing your own play or story, right? Fan, fan fiction, whatever. And you realize that writing pen and paper is, is, is wonderful because your writing speed can never keep up with the speed at which your brain is thinking. So inevitably your brain has to slow down because your hands cannot speed up, right? Because if your brain goes too fast, then you wouldn't be able to write in co coherent sentences. And you want coherent sentences when you write a play. So your brain has to slow down. And as it slows down, you find that you are thinking a lot more about what you are thinking about. So it's you're not on autopilot anymore. You are being very micro about this. You're thinking about every single sentence, every single word. 
Why am I using this particular word instead of another? Why do I sound so angry? Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Do I need to listen more? So as your brain slows down, you start to slow down. Your entire body starts to slow down. And you realize it's it, it can be quite a therapeutic experience. Obviously, I'm speaking for experience and, and not everyone might agree. But you can give it a try if you like. And yeah, it's basically that's what my research is trying to explore. And obviously, I've found literature to back this up. The thing about literature is... I never know what is enough. You know, is 20 enough? Is 200 enough? So weird. Yeah, I'm always so insecure. And yeah, I... Uh, and I always get so fidgety when a lot of my literature comes from one, one publication. So I, I'm like, okay, I cannot... I have to stop using this paper. I have to find something else. Even though it could be so... It, it could be so useful, you know, to my argument. But I have to find some nails just so, you know, I, I'm not banking all my eggs on one publication, right? And, yeah. And I found, you know, a few theater clubs around the world who, who do similar things, but not specifically with the end goal of mental health, mental well-being, but they do use it in educational settings. So I found one, for instance, the Manhattan Theatre Club. Um, they have a bunch of videos online, if you want to check them out, on how to... the basics of how to write a, a play. So, Or you can come to my... <laughs> you can sign up for my workshops. Yeah, so basically, they'll do some roleplay, they'll do interrogation, do some games, right? And attempt to write your own play. And, I don't know, it feels very... I have all this literature, but until I finally conduct the workshops, it's always going to feel like, you know... The literature is not enough or I, I always have this fear that as soon as I conduct the workshops it would contradict the literature I found and I'd have to restart the process all over again so there's that fear right and I've never conducted any workshops before not on my own anyway so this is gonna be a first for me and you know facilitating well I'm not very good with people I have to be honest so facilitating workshops is gonna be a step out of my comfort zone god wish i hope nobody cries you know like talking about their problems jeez okay <laughs> i wouldn't know what to do okay so that's about it for what i have now as you can probably hear all my thoughts are running all over the place but i think this has helped i'm gonna have my consultation in a few days <laughs> And I think I, 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 I roughly know what's going on. Roughly know what's going on. I think my next steps are to really pull my literature together and start writing in, in coherent paragraphs. Just so when the workshops, when I start conducting, conducting the workshops, a lot of the data is going to be coming in. I'm going to be spending a lot of time analyzing the data. 
for 10 people, six hours worth each. Um, it's a lot of data, right? And yeah, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. So I'm gonna do what I can now before I conduct the workshops. Please, please approve my ROB so I can start as soon as possible. A happy new year to you. Thank you for listening. I know this has been like the worst, the worst podcast I've done so far. Only because I'm talking to myself and I have just keep going on so that in the editing process, I don't have to cut the dead air. Yeah, but a lot of editing needs to be done for this episode. It has been a while. I'm sorry if, if I've disappointed you, but it can only get better from here. I promise. And I said Happy New Year already. Have a wonderful semester. Stay in touch. If we know each other personally, you can reach out. Or, I mean, if you want to talk about your research and we don't know each other, I'd be happy to. Just leave me a DM or something. Okay, yeah. And if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, obviously I, I cannot have said everything. Just, yeah, just ping me. Always happy to talk so I can rehearse before I meet my supervisor. Yeah, so thank you. This is Nazreen. Have a good week and stay tuned.